speak with bravest fire and have the gift to all inspire and have not love my words are vain as sounding brass and hopeless game though I may give all I possess and striving so Grace and peace and welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. My name is Taylor Mertens. I serve as the pastor here at this church. I'm delighted that you have decided to join us for worship today to hear more of Jesus' favorite playlist, the Psalms, how it influenced his life, his death, his resurrection, and how uh, those Psalms continue to speak through the scriptures to us today about who we are and whose we are. There are a number of things that are going on in the life of our church. You can read about them on our church website, our church Facebook page. There's an online bulletin for the service. You can find it uh, through one of the links in the video description. It will contain our scripture and our prayers, our hymn, all that good, important information. We're continuing to offer Facebook Live videos, weekly devotionals, and a whole lot of other things to stay connected to our faith at this time. You can read more about that via the wonder of the internet. So thinking about this sermon series, we have been going through the Jesus prayer book, as I said about the Psalms and how they were Jesus's favorite playlist. I'm curious for a moment for to know what are, what's been on your playlist recently. If you're on uh, watching with us on, on Facebook right now, or if you're on YouTube, type in the comments some of the music that's been on your playlist recently. I'd love to know what you're listening to these days that's that's bringing you a, a sense of joy or, or hope or, or anything like that. I'll share that in, in, in my house. We, we've we been listening to a lot of music. We listen to music pretty much all day long. I, I've noted before that we've got a, a nice turntable and a lot of vinyl records. Uh, when my family lets me get away with it, I spin a lot of old jazz. I love listening to the Dave Brubeck Quartet. I have a couple albums of his live concerts that were recorded way, way, way before I was born, and I love to just sit down and listen to to Dave Brubeck and and the quartet play jazz. Um, But the thing we've probably been listening to the most in my family recently is Fleetwood Mac. We love Fleetwood Mac in in our house. It's, It's probably because... Uh, my wife and I, both sets of our parents, listened to Fleetwood Mac when they were younger, made us listen to Fleetwood Mac when we were kids. And now Lindsay and I, my wife and I, we are making our son listen to Fleetwood Mac. So that's what I've been listening to these days, uh, thinking of, uh, that, that music just brings me joy. It gives me a sense of, of peace, uh, a feeling of belonging, and it's, it's also nostalgic for me. So what kind of music is on your playlist? I would love to know. Write in the comments. I'm always inter- uh, interested in discovering new music. So write it down so I can add some new things to my own playlist and look around, see what other people write. Maybe you'll discover a band or a song you never knew you needed until today. So with that, 
I encourage you now, after writing down some music in the chat, uh, to find a comfortable posture, perhaps close your eyes, as we continue to prepare our hearts and minds for worship. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful, wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Lord, you have called us here together to praise you, to hear your word, to call on you, and to lay into your hands whatever afflicts us, and whatever we need. Be now among us, instruct us, so that all that is fearful and despairing, all that is vain and defiant, all that unbelief may be made small, so that you can show us how great and good you are, so that our hearts may go out to one another, so that we may understand one another and help each other a little bit, so that this may be a time of light in which we see the heavens open and a little brightness even on this dark earth. Now, Lord, each of us will lift up to you, whether silently or aloud, our own joys and concerns in prayer this day. And as you taught us, Lord, so now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As I noted at the beginning part of our service, we are using a psalm every week that shows up in the Gospels to see how Jesus' favorite playlist informs his life, his death, and resurrection. So today our scripture readings are Psalm 78, 1 through 4, and Matthew 13, 33 through 35. So hear now God's holy word. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old things that we have heard and known that our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. And now from Matthew 13. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Jesus told the crowds all things in parables. Without a parable, he told them nothing. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth and speak in parables. I will proclaim what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our hymn today is number 561 from the United Methodist Hymnal, Jesus United by Thy Grace. So join me over at the drums as I play and sing, Jesus United by Thy Grace. You can find the words for the hymn in the online bulletin. Let's sing.
Jesus, united by thy grace, and each to each endeared. With confidence we seek thy face, and know our prayer is heard. Help us to help each other, Lord, and each other's cross to bear. Let all their friendly aid afford, and feel each other's care. Up unto thee, our living head, let us in all things grow. Till thou hast made us free indeed, and spotless here below. Touched by the lodestone of thy love, let all our hearts agree. And ever toward each other move, and ever move toward thee. Inseparably join, let all our spirits cleave. Oh, may we all with loving mind that was in thee receive. This is the bond of perfectness, thy spotless charity. Oh, let us still, we pray, possess the mind that was in thee. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, things that our ancestors have told us. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. To what may we compare the scriptures? Or perhaps to put it a little more plainly, what's the Bible like? Well, The strange new world of the Bible is like a giant house full of locked rooms. And on the floor, in front of every single door, there is a key. But there's a catch. The key that's on the floor in front of the door, it doesn't match the lock on the door in front of the one that it is on. The challenge then for us is to gather up every single key and begin trying them on every locked door until we find the proper key that unlocks and lets us in. So it is... With the scriptures. They are so obscure that the only way to understand them is by the means of coming into contact with other passages containing different explanations that are dispersed throughout that we can then apply to other places. This is a parable about parables because the Bible is full of just about every single literary form. There's genealogy, poetry, uh, prose, drama, instruction, reflection, and of course, parables. Take it up and read. You're just as likely to find something familiar as you are to find something totally bizarre. This is the challenge of this thing that we keep coming back to over and over again. We're like wandering through a house with a pocket full of keys, having no idea to which any of them go. So we continue to wander through the Bible, using the Bible to make sense of the Bible. And stretching out this parable just a little bit more, we might hope and suppose that if any of the doors or any of the rooms were unlocked and opened for us, they would be Jesus' parables. That we would so hope is due to the fact that parables are usually used to clarify something about something. They are stories that reveal truths that we would otherwise miss. And yet, at least with Jesus, the opposite seems to be true. You know, we don't walk away from a parable with an exclamation of, 
oh, that's what Jesus meant. Instead, we usually walk away only to say, what in the world was he going on about? The late great Robert Farr Capon put it this way. He said, the device of parabolic utterance is not used to explain things to people's satisfaction, but to call attention to the unsatisfactoriness of all their previous explanations and understandings. He says, Jesus' parables are intentionally designed to pop every single circuit breaker in the minds of those who receive them. So, for example, consider the parable of the lost sheep. Jesus tells his disciples that God is like a shepherd who, if one sheep among a hundred goes missing, will leave the 99 behind on the mountain to go in search of the one who is lost. And if he finds it, he rejoices over it more than the 99 who never went astray. Okay. A lot of us love this parable. We've heard it since we were kids in vacation Bible school, and the idea that God will never leave us lost is really, I mean, it's really comforting. But there's a catch, there's a problem, because the only thing guaranteed about going after one lost sheep is that the 99 are going to go missing too. Going after one lost sheep is straight up bad advice because it puts all the other sheep at risk, and in the end, there's no guarantee that any of them are going to be found. And the parable of the lost sheep is, it's like all of Jesus' parables, it's confounding and head-scratching, but it's still good news. Because it is a stark declaration that God saves losers and only losers. God finds the lost and only the lost. God raises the dead and only the dead. The parables of Jesus from the lost sheep to the prodigal son to the good Samaritan, they, they vary in form and function, but they all point again and again to the fact that God is the one who acts first, that God acts definitively, and God does all this without condition. Well, there might be one little condition, and if there is one, it is this. We need only admit that we are lost, that we haven't a hope in the world unless a crazy shepherd is willing to risk it all on us. But to the passage at hand today, Jesus, resting in the vibes of his favorite playlist, the Psalms, he chooses to speak in parables and only in parables in order to proclaim what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. This is an exclamation mark on a string of stories that include the sower, who scatters seeds indiscriminately, the weeds among the wheat, which must be left to grow together until the harvest, and the mustard seed. All of these brief parables point to the circuit-breaking nature of Jesus' ministry and kingdom. Because the sower refuses to sow only where the seeds will bear fruit and is determined to rain down grace upon every type of soil there is. No good gardener lets weeds grow among wheat, but in the kingdom of God there is room for all to grow and flourish. And the mustard seed. The mustard seed doesn't do anyone any good until it's buried in the ground. Not unlike a first century carpenter turned rabbi who, after being buried in a tomb, was raised three days later. You see what's going on there? But then Jesus decides to sum all of it up, to tie up all these crazy stories with the parable of the leaven. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. In one sentence, Jesus has fulfilled the promise and the proclamation of a psalm. He has drawn people in to hear the words from his mouth. He speaks in a parable, a dark saying from of old, 
And he knows that this story will not be hidden from children, that this story will be told to the coming generations, describing the wonders that God has done. But what in the world is so wonderful about a woman mixing yeast with flour? Better yet, what does this have to do with the kingdom? For a moment, we can rest in the great and the sadly controversial fact that the surrogate for God in this story is a woman. Contrary to how it's been spread throughout the history of the church, all this patriarchal nonsense, it doesn't have any foundation to rest on. In other places, Jesus specifically compares himself to a mother hen. Women are the only disciples who don't abandon him at the end, and without women preachers, none of us would have heard about the resurrection from the dead on the first Easter. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, is like yeast that a woman took and kneaded it together with three measures of flour. God, the great female baker, takes the yeast that is the kingdom of God, kneads it thoroughly with the flour that is the world. Now, think about this for just a second. The work of this baker, it's not just preparing a nice little loaf of bread for Sunday brunch. Jesus says specifically that she took three measures. The the word is sata in Greek, which is a whole bushel. That's 128 cups of flour. So when you're done taking the 42 cups of water necessary to go into the flour, you're going to be left with 101 pounds of dough. But Jesus keeps going. He doesn't stop. He says that crazy 101 pound mass of dough is thoroughly kneaded and mixed until all of it, all of it, was leavened. You know, the great and at times terrible part about baking bread is that once you introduce yeast, you can't take it back out. It immediately becomes hidden. It loses itself in order to become something else. It is mysteriously wonderful to watch the yeast disappear into the mixture, knowing that it will make something marvelous of something otherwise useless. Which, parabolically, means that the kingdom of God, like leavened bread, has been with us from the beginning and will always be with us. It is hidden in and among us, doing its job, and there's nothing we can do to get rid of it. No amount of badness, no amount of goodness can do anything to the yeast that is already mixed with the flour and the water. The baker, she's done her job, and now the yeast will make something of the messy and shaggy dough. The yeast, it works intimately and immediately, and nothing can stop it. But we, as usual, we, we scratch our heads like the disciples and all who have received the parables over the years. We keep wandering around the house that is the Bible with many rooms, struggling to, to hold all the keys without having any idea which key goes to which door. We wonder how this has anything to do with me, with us. Well, perhaps this parable, this Dark saying from old reminds us that the only thing we can do, other than admitting how badly we need Jesus, is wait for him to do his job. Now ask any baker, one of the worst things to do is throw the dough into the oven before it's ready, or take it out of the oven before it's ready, because good bread, really good bread, is made when the yeast has the time to do what it needs to do without us mucking it up. And... When baking, 
the only way yeast makes something of nothing is by, of all things, dying. When yeast has finally mixed into the dough and it's placed in the oven, it dies. And in dying, it creates thousands of these little pockets of air. It's those pockets of air that make the dough expand as it's cooked. If you're catching my drift about any of this, baking is a miracle. If you've ever had the pleasure and the patience to bake bread, it's nothing short of miraculous. But here's the real kicker, the best part of all, that the air, the air that's created by the yeast when it dies, is warm carbon dioxide. It's the same thing we create every time we breathe. The whole of the kingdom, Jesus seems to say, operates by warm breath. Remember, Jesus is the breathed word of God, begotten, not made from the foundation of the cosmos. God speaks creation into existence. God breathes the spirit into Adam in the garden. It's that same spirit. The Hebrew word is ruah. It means breath and wind. It flows in and around all that we do, giving life to the lifeless and possibility to countless impossibilities. Remember, Jesus breathes out the spirit after the resurrection onto his ragtag group of would-be followers hiding in the upper room. Jesus speaks all of his parables only by use of breath that was there from the foundation of the world. Remember, the Spirit is blown on the day of Pentecost, filling the newborn church with a mighty wind to go and share the good news with the world. That same Spirit, it compels us, as the psalm says, to tell the stories to the coming generations and declare the mighty works of God. You know, even me standing here right now proclaiming the word, it's only possible because of the warm breath that is coming from my mouth. And best of all, God is able to make something of my nothing every week that I stand up to do this. In the end, it's all about warm air, whether it's the bread baking in the oven or the spirit poured out on all flesh or what all of us are doing right now just to live. I mean, you don't know this because we don't have to think about our breathing, but from the time I started this sermon to right now, on average, all of us have breathed 150 times, and we didn't have to think about it at all for it to happen. Just like the leavened bread, our breathing, it happens automatically. It happens automatically. And when that leavened bread, the bread of life we call Jesus, is mixed definitively into our lives, it unfailingly expands and makes something miraculous of all of us. Because the job, mysteriously and strangely enough, it's already done, finished and baked before the foundation of the world, completed by the great baker who breathed out his life for us from the cross, forgave us with some of his final breaths, and forever prays on our behalf even when we can't. Which is all to say, whether or not we know what key matches with which door, we are as good and baked into salvation right here and right now. Because God, compelled by love, has kneaded us in with the holy trinity of baking, flour, water, and yeast. And it will become something that we never could on our own. The only thing we have to do is listen to Jesus and trust that he has done and will ever do his yeasty work. And in the end, when we start to smell the, the fresh bread wafting in from the oven of the kingdom, we will know that it's time to eat at the supper of the Lamb 
forever and ever. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we in the world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. God has gathered us together. God has needed us with love. God has proclaimed God's word. Now we respond to what God has said with the giving of ourselves, our time, our effort, our prayers, but also with our tithes and our offerings. I encourage you to give with glad and generous hearts to God through the ministries of Cokesbury United Methodist Church. You may give online. The link for doing so is in the video description. You may give by sending a check through the mail to the church, or if you live locally, you can bring your offering by. We have a drop slot by our main office doors. Uh, but give. Give that we might be a place that continues to utter these parables from Jesus, coming them to the coming generation so that we might declare the glorious works that he has done. Another way that we like to respond to what God has said is by affirming our faith using the Apostles' Creed. So please join me as we affirm our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now I'd like to offer you this blessing and this benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, help you to see, know, and believe that you have been kneaded into the dough, mixed until all of it was leavened, that you are part of God's great baking bread, the bread of life that is Jesus Christ. And it's all good news. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Look forward uh, to gathering with all of you again next week, same time, same place, to hear more of Jesus' favorite playlist so that we can jam, we can dance, we can rejoice, and we can hear more about who this Jesus is, what he has come to do for us. So I look forward to that next week. Go in peace. Be well. Amen, amen, and amen.